Welcome to Xanadu Gallery's Red Dot Podcast. I'm Jason Horsch, owner of Xanadu Gallery, publisher of Red Dot Blog, and your host for this podcast. This is episode 16. Today, mailing, promotion, and client ownership. Today's podcast is based on two interactions that I had recently in the last several weeks. Um, one, a telephone conversation, and the other, an email. Uh, they're unrelated, but uh, they both raise some interesting questions that I think many of you are going to run into over the course of uh, uh, establishing your art business and, and building your promotion. And so I wanted to, to talk about uh, each of them. The first is a, a conversation that I had with a fellow gallery owner, a, a, a gentleman who owns a gallery here in Scottsdale. Uh, we were talking uh, about um, an organization that we're a part of uh, that helps us promote and work together to advertise what's going on in the arts district. And we were talking about websites and, and that kind of thing. And, and then the conversation moved into just kind of more generally talking about business and how the year has been um, and, and then specifically about uh, the summer. And he uh, made a common complaint, a complaint that's going to be very common among Scottsdale gallery owners that, oh, the summer is so slow. Um, and of course it's slow. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. It's miserably hot here. Um, you know, even this week it's, uh, late August, almost September, and our high temperatures are going to be around 110, um, for the next three or four days, and then it's going to cool off to about 105. So it, it's just very hot. No one who who has a choice uh, is, is going to spend too much time here. And, and uh, most people who are collecting art do have that choice. They're in, uh, you know, more temperate climes this time of year. Um, so, so it definitely slows down. We're a very seasonal art market. Um, when the summer comes around, it's very slow. But, but then the compensation for that is that during the winter months, it's just beautiful here. Um, you know, from about uh, the 1st of November, clear through into early May, uh, we, we just have very nice temperate weather. Uh, yeah, we'll get a few winter rainstorms that'll come through and, you know, we can have some cool days, but um, generally speaking, it, it's just beautiful. And so we get a lot of uh, winter visitors here and that drives a lot of, of the art business. And, um, you know, so we, we kind of just know that. We know that that uh, we're going to be selling a lot more during those winter months and, and be a lot slower during the summer. Um, however... Uh, I was able to tell him that, um, you know, not only have we had a, a, a very good year for sales uh, during our season, and just overall, we're up this year in, in our overall sales compared to last year's sales, um, but also our summer sales are on track to be stronger than last year's. Now, uh, you know, to be clear, they're, they're still down significantly. Our, our month over month, you know, month over month sales are going to be lower during the summer months um, than they are during the, the season. Um, but, you know, you're kind of making the best of a, of a hard situation by trying to generate some sales during the, the summer months. And so we, we talked about that a little bit, and he asked some questions about uh, what we're doing. And, you know, this is kind of an interesting conversation to have with a fellow gallery owner because, you know, clearly um, our relationship is 
one of um, a certain level of alliance. We are located uh, in the arts district. Um, we work, do a lot of work together, um, you know, cross promotions. We have an art walk uh, and, and all those kinds of things because um, the the more galleries you have together and the more you do together, the more you create a sense of an art market, the more excuses you give people to come down. And, and Scottsdale really is a unique um, – uh, art market in that you can visit so many galleries with such a diversity of art in, in such a concentrated space. Um, you, you know, the only other similarities might be Canyon Road in uh, in Santa Fe and, and um, well, you know, I, I was going to say some of the other uh, resort areas are in a concentrated area, but, but really, um, you know, we even have it a little better than, say, a Jackson Hole or Vail or Aspen because those galleries are scattered around the town. Ours are, you know, two blocks of just gallery after gallery. And so, um, you know, we do try to work together, and it is to my benefit to have other galleries around me and, and um, uh, frankly, to have them doing well so that uh, we're all able to, to uh, contribute to advertising funds and, and those kind of things. Now, at the same time, we're also obviously competitors, and, um, you know, there is a certain sense that uh, you have to be a little careful because you don't want to... Uh, give away your secrets, so to speak, um, uh, you, you know, and give your competitor an advantage, you know, to a certain extent, if a, a buyer is on the street and uh, they buy a bunch of work at another gallery, that that theoretically limits how much they might be able to spend at, at uh, my gallery. Now, it's more complicated even than that because, you know, Obviously, clients have a finite amount of funds, but uh, they do have discretion on on how much you're going to spend and what they fall in love with and those kind of things. But anyway, it is just a uh, an interesting dynamic. The relationship, um, you, you know, I, I think the young people these days call them frenemies, um, where you are uh, you have mutual interests, but you're also competitors. Um, but the the things we talked about in this conversation are some pretty broad principles. And, um, you know, in talking about them, I, I think that um, hopefully I gave him something to think about and, and some, some uh, concepts that might help him in his business. And I think um, sharing them in this podcast might give you some ideas about how uh, you can increase your um, contact with your collectors. Because ultimately, that was where our conversation went. You know, as he asked, okay, what are you guys doing that, um, you, you know, that, that's successful? What is causing your clients to make purchases from you during this slow time during, you know, the hot summer months? And so um, I, I mentioned a few things. Um, the first is, is just a simple one, and that is that we don't operate under reduced hours during the slower summer months, like a lot of galleries here do during the summer. Some galleries will uh, close additional days during the week. I know some galleries are closed Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and only open Wednesday through Saturday. Um, some galleries open later, uh, close earlier. 
Um, and it's it's understandable the temptation. You're going to spend a, a good amount of time in your gallery with no one coming in and nothing happening. And so, um, you know, if you don't have other things to be working on, uh, it can get pretty boring pretty quickly. And and you can probably think of better things to be doing with your time. The problem though is that. With a smaller flow of people hitting the street, and there still are some people who do hit the street. There are some people who come out to Scottsdale during the summer because they get amazing travel discounts. They can come and stay at uh, gorgeous resorts that during the winter months are charging seven or $800 a night and during the summer are charging $100 a night. Um, and you know, if you're not going to be spending a lot of time outside, uh, you know, if you're going to the spa and spending some time poolside or those kind of things, it kind of doesn't matter when you're here. Um, and you'll get great deals on, on, you know, dining and all that kind of stuff. And, um, it's just less crowded here. So it's easier to, to get around and, and people do come down to the arts district during the summer. You don't know when they're going to show up though. And so our philosophy has been um, let's let's be open and give them every opportunity to show up. We do the art walk still on Thursday nights, um, even though a lot of galleries back off of that. Um, I feel like if anything, the best time is to be open in the evening. Uh, we have our art walk every Thursday night, and um, you know it's not exactly cool Thursday night, but at least the sun isn't out blazing, and so people do come out and we do make sales. So that's the first thing is that. Um, we just really continue to offer availability. You can't sell if you're not open. And so we try to be as open as much as, as we can. So our only day that we're closed during the summer is on Sundays, which is is typical for us. Um, uh, you know, that's not to say there are some times during the summer um, in the depths of summer when because of employee vacations and traveling, that kind of things. We do occasionally have, a, you know, a reduced couple of hours on a day or something because I don't have coverage from my employees or I'm out of town or that kind of thing. But by and large, our philosophy is that, that we're going to be open. Now, along with that, um, when we are open, we're not, even if we don't have someone in the gallery, we're not just sitting around bemoaning the fact that no one's walking through the door. We're doing other things to actively promote the artwork and and um, inform clients about our artists and and uh, you know we're advertising basically and, and my sales staff devotes a lot of their efforts to that they devote their efforts to follow up with sales that uh, didn't occur during the summer a client came in and was interested in something but didn't end up making the purchase and our our, our sales staff follows up um, very uh, actively during the summer months to make some of those additional sales happen and that that's a big that that kind of creates a tail a long tail of our season that goes into the summer. Uh, and really helps smooth out that dip in cash flow um, during our off season. So, so that's a big part of it. Now, as far as the our promotional efforts, what are we doing? Um, you, you know, to let uh, remote clients know about what's going on. Well, we have several different things that are, are happening. Um, you've probably seen my emails about our art catalog. So we have that um, that continues through the summer and and um, that does generate sales uh, for us and, and for our artists. And um, we, we do that every other month and we continue to do it during the summer. And actually, um, you know, 
I, I feel that some of our clients are more prone to be uh, engaged with art purchases during the summer. It seems like um, for some professionals and and um, you know people in different parts of the country that summer slows down a little bit for their businesses too. People are on vacation and, and that kind of thing, and so they have a little maybe a little bit more time to look at art in a catalog. They also have time to visit our website. So we make. Um, you know, we continue to make sales through our website to people who maybe haven't even ever uh, been in our gallery. And so we're very uh, proactive. And if you've been on our website, you know this, we're very proactive about keeping all of our inventory that's available in our gallery and additional inventory um, from our artists and from other artists available on the website. And so that's another um, another avenue for us to generate interest in sales during the, the summer months. Uh, you know, that goes on all year long, but we can pay a little bit more attention to it. And we can kind of catch up on things that maybe slack we, we slack off a little bit during the season in terms of keeping that inventory up to date on our website. So we work on that uh, very actively. And then um, perhaps most uh, important and, and the thing that, that um, you know, along with all those other things helps drive a good number of sales is that we're sending out a weekly um, newsletter via email to our clients promoting artwork in the gallery. Um, and th- that's important because... That gives us a little bit more of a direct opportunity to keep ourselves on the radar and, um, you know, to, to give people a variety of, of different uh, pieces to see in a very focused, concentrated way. And it allows us to, to tell them something about the artwork and the artist um, and, and so that can be very uh, effective and, and very valuable in generating some sales. And again, that's something we do during the season. But during the season, it changes a little bit because a lot of those emails are focused on are, are kind of more event based. We're having a show for this or that artist, the reception, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Um, and and uh, during the summer months, it's less of that and more just focused on on individual pieces. And and so we find that that is is uh, very effective. Now, um, we send out an email every week, and I mentioned this to the gallery owner that I was talking to, and he said, "Oh, I I just can't. I don't. I, do, doesn't everybody unsubscribe from your mailing list? I can't do that because um, if I do that, people get annoyed with me and they unsubscribe from my list." And that that comment and then the conversation that ensued is kind of what I wanted to focus on um, and, and talk a little bit about here. And that is that um, and, and what I said to him was that I, I feel like that fear and, and it's an understandable fear is um, causing uh, him and, and it's causing a lot of people who have email uh, mailing lists uh, to make some some marketing blunders. Um, they, they are not that, that because of that fear, there is a tendency to uh, either misuse your mailing list or or not uh, fully 
implement and use your mailing list the mo- in the most effective way. And and so I suggested to him, and I want to suggest to all of those of you who have mailing lists, some just just some counterpoints to the fear that you might feel about. Um, alienating your collectors because you're contacting them too frequently. Um, and, and there are a few different factors. And, and to be fair, um, you know, I don't know some of the details of the gallery owner's mailing list. Um, and, and so I'm going to be talking a little bit uh, abstractly and a little bit theoretically. Um, but I can, can tell you what we're doing and what is working for us. And hopefully that can help you think about uh, your mailing list. And I guess the first point is just that um, in, in this day and age, I feel it makes a lot of sense for everyone to have a mailing list and, and to be actively um, engaging with and managing that mailing list, um, to be actively adding potential collectors, um, potential fans of your work to that list, and then cultivating your relationship with those who've signed up for your list. Um, and, you know, unlike the, the, you know, the, the dawn of the internet age, um, and, in the early days of, of online marketing and promotion, um, you know, which I went through in, in the early days of our gallery, um, it used to be very complicated to manage a mailing list. And, and there were a lot of questions about how should I, you know, keep my list of subscribers? How do I manage those who are unsubscribing from my list? Um, you know, how do I send out these emails? And uh, it, it was a little bit difficult. And, and into that um, void and and those challenges came some businesses that have really revolutionized and made it a lot easier to manage your mailing list and to be an effective email uh, marketer in essence and and that is what we become um, when we're we're promoting artwork through email. So companies like uh, Constant Contact and A Weber and um, I think Mad Mimi is one and uh, Emma. There, there are a bunch of different companies available that will will kind of take this over for you. They'll they'll manage your subscribers. They give you easy templates that you can use to create your emails, and then they have the uh, servers and and the the back end technical expertise to handle uh, distribution of your emails, so you don't really have to worry about any of that. You can step in and um, just kind of use their infrastructure and very easily stay in contact with your mailing list. We use um, uh, uh, Mailchimp, and um, there are a number of different reasons that I've chosen Mailchimp. Um, but in essence, at this point, I think there's a lot of parity between features that are available. It kind of comes down almost more to preference. Um, the one advantage, and and I think that a lot of artists can can use um, a, a service like Mailchimp, is that they offer a free tier um, that allows you. And I don't know what the exact numbers are right now, but you can have a certain number of subscribers and send out a certain number of emails per month and not have to pay anything for MailChimp's services. You, there's a, a free tier. Um, and, and for many artists, that free tier um, is going to 
more than cover the, the size of your mailing list and the number of emails you send out for a long, long time. You could use their service for years and years and years and potentially not need to ever um, pay anything for it. Now, you're going to miss out on some other features, but but for what we're doing, that's that's probably not a big deal. Um, I do pay for uh, the, the service because our mailing list is is significantly larger. Obviously, you know, we've been in business for... Uh, well, since 2001. And so I have, um, you know, thousands of collectors who've been through the gallery and have purchased from us or have expressed interest in something and have signed up for our mailing list. And and I don't mind at all um, paying for uh, the, the email service because it makes our lives so much easier to have them managing all of that and taking care of bounces and bad email addresses and people who want to unsubscribe. I don't have to deal with any of that. It just it kind of manages itself. And so, um, you know, that's that's the first thing is if you don't yet or if you're not yet using a, a mailing list service, I would suggest you investigate the different services that are available out there and and get started. Even if, you know, maybe you only have a few email addresses that you've picked up at art festivals or from sales that you've made directly to collectors. Um, it's a good idea to, to, to become familiar with how an email list works and to kind of get through the learning curve so that as you add to that mailing list, you become more proficient um, in, in, and you're in the habit of staying in contact with your collectors. And it really does take um, – it takes some discipline – and and some real effort to be consistent in your mailing list sends. Um, because I want to be clear, even for us, as I mentioned, we have thousands of people on our, our mailing list. And these are thousands of people who we know are qualified collectors. They have um, you, you know, they visited Scottsdale, first of all, and, and um, you know, it takes some some commitment to do that. Um, many of them have purchased from us. And, and so we know that they have the potential to purchase additional artwork in the future. And we know that they're, um, you know, of anyone we could be contacting, these are, are the people who potentially would be the best contacts for us because they know us and have bought from us in the past and making them, um, you know, having built some trust with us, that makes them more likely to purchase from us in the future. Um, but even knowing that and having those thousands, there are many email newsletters that we send out in many weeks where an email goes out and we can see that people are engaging with it. They're opening it. They're clicking on links. They're looking at the art. Um, but it just doesn't catch catch anyone's fancy and we don't make a sale. There are certainly weeks when we send out email newsletters and um, you know don't have any sales come from it. And, you know... It does take some work to set up those emails and, and um, y- you know, to write the narratives that are going with them. And, and so that could be frustrating. Um, and, of course, if your emailing list is smaller, that's going to be even more frustrating because it's a bit of a numbers game. And the fewer people you have on your list, um, you know, the lower levels of reaction that you're going to get and the lower level of sales. And so you have to be really committed and disciplined in doing that. And as I say, it's... Uh, you, you know, you may only be generating one sale per year, having sent out 52 emails during that year if you're sending out one a week. Um, but I, I suspect that for most of you, even that one sale per year through that effort 
um, you know, that could have a, a significant impact on your bottom line over the course of the year. Um, and especially as your mailing list grows and, uh, you know, if you double your mailing list in theory, you should also see a doubling of, of your sales. So maybe next year it's, uh, you know, you generate two sales or three sales and, and pretty soon that starts to add up. Um, and, it, you know, I can, can point to instances even this summer where had we not sent out and, and been consistent in sending out those emails, it would have had a significant impact on our business. Um, we had a sale in June. I want to say June, maybe it was late May, um, you know, May's kind of the beginning of our slower season, might have been in May, um, where we sent out uh, an email highlighting some sculpture. Um, and that email resulted in a $12,000 plus sale. Um, that we would not have otherwise had. And, and, you know, that was a significant portion of our total sales for the month. And and so, you know, we didn't know that that particular email was going to generate the sale. And and the, the email the week after that and the week following that, uh, you know, may not have generated any sales. The week before that didn't generate any sales. But that one email made a, a huge difference. And, and so, again, you just want to think about, you, you want to come up with a plan, um, here's what I'm willing to commit to it. Here's how much time I'm willing to spend on it. And maybe for you, um, it makes sense not to do it every week like we are, but maybe you're sending out emails um, once every couple of weeks. Uh, or maybe you start out once a month, but you're just committed that whether I get any response or any reaction, I'm going to be consistent in this. Now, in talking to the uh, th this gallery owner, um, his argument was not that his list was too small, although um, his list is is significantly smaller than mine. His his fear about sending emails out um, was that he was going to annoy his his customers. Um, that by sending out regular emails, he was going to cause people to unsubscribe from his list. And this is actually where you can have a little bit of a downside from the amazing amount of information that you can get from your email providers. They're able to tell you how many people are opening your emails, how many are clicking on them, how many are responding. And of course, then you also know um, how many are, are, are resulting in sales. But they also tell you who is unsubscribing from your mailing list um, you know, based on a campaign that you sent out. And that, if you obsess over that, it can be devastating and paralyzing. Um, you know, you don't want to think that um, your collectors, uh, something that you've said in an email or the fact that your email was too frequent caused them to have negative feelings about you and unsubscribe from your mailing list. And this is what he said to me. He said, you know, when I, whenever I send an email out, I see people unsubscribing and some of them are really important collectors to me. You know, they've, they've bought numerous pieces from me in the past. So I just don't want to risk that. I don't want to risk having them unsubscribe. And, and my response to him was, well, What's the point of having a, a mailing list if it's not to stay in contact with your collectors? 
um, you know, kind of what you're telling me is that either way, they're not going to be seeing emails from you um, because either A, you've been persistent and sent out regular emails and they've unsubscribed, so they're no longer seeing emails from you. Or, um, you know, the second option is that uh, you're too afraid to send out emails and because you think they might unsubscribe. And so you're not sending emails out. And so the result is the same. They're also not seeing emails from you. Uh, and, and so what he told me was he basically sends out six or seven emails per year. And they're sent out around um, shows that he's hosting, uh, you know, where he might be featuring an artist. And uh, those those emails um, are the only things that he's sending out. And he says, even from those, people unsubscribe. And while I can understand where he's coming from, and obviously, you know, you, you, um, you know, you, 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 you don't want to be losing subscribers and and you know there's there certainly is a balance to be struck you don't want to be sending out so many emails that um you're you know not only are you randomly having some people unsubscribe but you're basically forcing and and encouraging people unsubscribe because they're just getting a deluge of emails from you um but as i look at our list and think about this um i feel like in in some ways that that natural it's almost a natural selection process as i send out emails the people who are least likely to respond um, and least likely to purchase are selecting themselves to be removed from my list and therefore i'm not going to be wasting any of my effort um, you know having emails go out to them and and they won't be annoyed anymore because now they're not getting those emails um and and the people who are left on the list, sure, there are going to be a lot of them that maybe just, you know, were, didn't want to go to the effort to unsubscribe and they just let it flow into their, the, you know, their stream of email messages that they're never going to respond to and maybe never look at. Um, but again, this is a numbers game and there are going to be some certain number of people who every once in a while are going to click on that email. And they're going to see that artwork and they're going to be in the right place and at the right time and, and they're going to have the right reaction to that artwork and they're going to call us and they're going to make a purchase. So that's, that's, that's what I'm aiming for. And I just, I am more effective in doing that if I am regular in my emails and we see a high level of sales. And as I look at my total sales over the course of a year, uh, there's just no doubt that that consistency in, in reaching out um, has a very powerful impact. And, and frankly, it, it's keeping me on their radar. And so I know, uh, and I've had people tell me, they come into the gallery, um, you know, they've said, thank you for sending us emails and keep us in mind. We don't always respond and, you know, uh, don't, don't always buy what you're, what you're emailing us about, but we really appreciate keeping in contact. And I know that they've come into the gallery because, um, you know, they came out to Scottsdale and my, my emails, you know, made it so that while they're here, they thought, oh, you know what? We need to go see, we need to go see what's new at Xanadu Gallery, or we need to go see this piece that we saw the email at. And, um, and they come down, which they, you know, might have forgotten about us or might not prioritize the visit to us were they not receiving those emails. Um, and so I'm willing, I'm willing to pay the price and have um, some of our collectors, and, and I don't disagree with, with this other gallery owner that sometimes it's, it's 
painful to see some some collectors who have have made multiple purchases from us unsubscribe from our list. But I'm willing to pay that price um, so that I can get the full effect out of our mailing list. Um, you know, so that I can see the benefit from those those sales that we're making. Um, and I, I just feel like that trade-off is worth it. Now, we also do have a little bit of a secret weapon. And that is that in any case where we can, and especially with our collectors, we are getting both their email address and their physical mailing address. And that means that someone may unsubscribe from my mailing list and they may not be getting my, um, you know, certainly my promotions and they may not be getting my, my invitations, my email invitations to show openings, which is what this, this other gallery owner was worried about that they, you know, now these collectors won't know about the shows and they won't come in. But I also have their physical mailing address, and I'm going to send them a physical invitation to um, the shows that we're having as well. And so I may have lost them in email, but I haven't lost their mailing address, and, and um, I can still give them the opportunity to know about our shows and come down. And, um, y- y- you know, like I say, I- I'm willing to do that. And And so, frankly, I don't spend much time, really, I don't spend almost any time looking at my list of recent unsubscribers from my mailing list. I'm just not going to let that worry me um, because I know that, uh, as I say, slowly but surely, I'm getting a more and more potent email list as, um, you know, I I only keep those who are interested and, um, you know, haven't unsubscribed. Now, there are other things you can do, and and again, this is part of why I like MailChimp, and that is that I have some control, and I know it ranks my uh, email list users so that I know who's most likely to open and click on um, on, on our emails, and that allows us to segment our list, and, and um, sometimes some of our emails will only send to our more active um, participants in our mailing list and won't send it to the whole list. But that's going to be a topic for another podcast. We'll, we'll give some more specific thoughts and instructions on on how to do that. Now, that so that's the, the, the first conversation that I had. Um, and the second one was via email. And it was a response to a blog post I did not too long ago about reconnecting with past collectors. Uh, many of you will remember that. And I, I talked, uh, in fact, last week's podcast was a an artist who had reconnected with a past collector and had generated a patronage relationship. Um, but, but this artist emailed me with a bit of a dilemma that I wanted to just spend a few minutes talking about. Um, and the the question came, and that is, how is an artist selling through galleries able to build that collector base when we don't have access to the information. After I started selling almost exclusively through galleries, I soon realized that every single gallery treated information about my collectors as if it was a national secret. Notes I wrote to thank a collector and tell them about the piece and send a photo of the initial sketch has always been done through the gallery. I send an envelope with the letters inside and the gallery forwards it to the collector. I've always had a great relationship with my galleries and I'm the last person to hound a collector. 
I can see why a gallery wants to keep this info on the QT. However, even when I have left a gallery because my art has matured and is priced beyond their mix, I also leave behind the collector information. Some galleries said that they're happy to forward the information to me, but so far none have. Last year, I had to pull out of a gallery because they adopted new policies of not being open on Saturday and don't do a lick of advertising even on social media. They have several large ranches in town that have bought several of my large works for a good amount of money. I left on great terms and they want me back, but the promised contact information from those who I've made multiple purchases of my art has yet uh, to arrive in my email. Any ideas? So this is, um, right away, I'm going to admit that this is a bit of a thorny issue and there are a lot of moving parts in this issue. And I've, I've heard the same question from other artists in the past um, and and I understand the frustration that can come from uh, kind of this mechanism in the art world that if you're showing through galleries, you know, and obviously I'm a gallery owner and um, I talk a lot about the, the uh, benefits and value of working with galleries, but this certainly could be seen as a downside or a challenge of, of selling your work through galleries as opposed to selling your work directly, you, you are, are one level removed from your collectors. Um, I would argue, uh, you know, just from a practical standpoint and knowing that this is the case, that the value you get out of your relationships with galleries um, outweighs the, this uh, removal uh, and, and kind of barrier between you and the ultimate purchaser of your artwork. Um, just in terms of, you know, if you're in a good gallery and they're getting good traffic and they're reaching out to collectors that you never would have had anyway, um, you, 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 you know, not only have you not lost anything because you wouldn't have had that client's contact information in the first place, you wouldn't have made that, that connection, uh, but, you, you know, you've generated a good number of sales and, and uh, a, albeit, you know, kind of secondary following for your work. You have collectors out there who are keeping an eye on your work through those galleries. Um, this, and, and, and obviously I'm going to come at this from a gallery owner's perspective, and I, I hope I can help you kind of understand where I'm coming from because, um, you know, I... I uh, uh, similar to what this artist is mentioning about the galleries, um, you, you know, that, that uh, they've worked with, um, I also do not share uh, contact information of my collectors. And most of the gallery owners that I associate with and know don't do this. There are some exceptions, and I've had some people email me and, and um, had conversations uh, about, uh, you know, different approaches to this question. But But let me have you step into... Um, in, into my mind, if you will, on this and um, uh, maybe understand it from my perspective. And, and that is that um, as a gallery owner, uh, and that's what I call myself, I'm an art dealer, I'm a gallery owner, I, you know, I say those words, but if you think about the words gallery owner, you have to kind of stop and think, okay, what is it that I really own as a gallery owner, I don't own the uh, physical building that my gallery is located. I lease the space. Um, 
I don't own um, the majority of the artwork that I'm showing in the gallery. Uh, I do own some of it. I buy some artwork outright, but most of the art that, that's showing in the gallery is on consignment. And uh, that really makes sense in, in this scenario because, um, you know, it's it's a relatively low percentage um, of the art that's in the gallery that's ever going to sell. Um, and I need to be able to rotate it out and and uh, keep artwork fresh and, and show new work. And so the, the consignment model... Uh, with all of its flaws, is the model that um, that the art world generally seems to have settled into for the relationship between the artist and the gallery. So, so there's not not a lot of ownership there. Um, really, the only thing that I do own is my relationships, uh, my relationships with my customers that we've worked with. Uh, and and also the relationships that I've built with my artists over the years. Um, that's what I own. And, um, y- you know, those, those relationships are the single largest asset um, that I have as a gallery. So it makes sense that I'm going to be very careful with that asset, um, especially the relationship with the collector. I'm going to... Um, nurture it carefully, and I'm going to be a little bit careful about, um, you know, guarding that information. Um, now, that doesn't mean, um, you know, I, I think the the wording was interesting that galleries treat it like a national secret. Well, it's not quite like that because I do want to have shows where the artist is present, has the opportunity to meet collectors. Um, you know, and there are times when I've taken clients to the artist studio, um, y- you know, or or other things, taken, uh, you know, the artist and the client out to lunch together. Um, but in essence, I am always serving as a kind of intermediary between the collector and the artist. And in a lot of ways... Um, the artists that I'm working with, that that's what they want. Um, you, you know, sure, they could be selling the work themselves and finding collectors themselves, but they want to be able to be focused on creating and, and um, you know, expressing themselves through their art. And working with clients takes a lot of effort and energy. Um, and, and you have to be very careful about it. And, and, um, in, you know, in a lot of cases, your gallery, because that's what they're doing all day, every day, uh, they're going to be better at that than, than maybe you would be. Um, and, and, you know, in, in thinking about this, I, I advocate artists, um, take a little bit of a hybrid approach to selling their artwork. I, I think it makes a lot of sense for an artist to do both, to have and and um, generate and sustain direct relationships with um, the collectors that they can. That might be collectors in their local area uh, or might be collectors in art festivals and shows that they participate in um, or people who found them through their website, uh, you know, th- there are opportunities that are afforded artists because of, uh, you know, modern technology and events that allow an artist to have those direct contacts. But then you can also leverage relationships with galleries to build additional contacts and, um, well, actually build additional sales. Um, and, and then the gallery maintains those contacts 
Um, and and kind of another way to think about this, um, and, and well, before I, I, I talk about this other way to think about it, let, let me just talk about some of the challenges and the reasons that galleries are reluctant to share the information, um, the, the, the contact information with collectors. And the first and foremost is that unfortunately, uh, that contact information has been shared in the past or and, and maybe not intentionally, maybe sometimes a, an artist made a contact with a collector at a show or in the gallery. Um, and then unfortunately, there have been artists who have abused that relationship, um, it, that knowledge and that information and made an end run around their galleries, contacted the collector directly um, and made a sale, cutting the gallery out of the loop, um, you know, and therefore, uh, you know, physically damaging the relationship with the, the gallery and, and harming the gallery because they're not getting the commission from that sale uh, that was generated to a collector that they discovered and, and were nurturing. Um, and um, I... I've had that experience myself, unfortunately, in the past, and I certainly know um, other gallery owners who've had it. And, you know, I know that the vast majority of artists, um, and certainly the artists that I'm working with, would would never do that. Um, they don't want to um, harm that relationship. They value the the work that the gallery is doing for them, and they don't want to get in the way of sales or um, step on the gallery's toes, and certainly not cut them out of of the relationships. Um, but unfortunately, because there are a few um, bad actors out there who who have um, done that. It makes gallery owners gun shy uh, about sharing that kind of information. Um, you know, we're very careful, and, and that was kind of the first part of this this whole conversation today. We're very careful about um, thinking about how and when we communicate with collectors, and um, the, the the tone of the communication that we're using. Um, I know a, a gallery owner in Texas who shared a story about an artist who found out the contact information of, of someone who'd bought several pieces. Uh, and at one point when this artist was having some real difficulties, contacted the client and shared these difficulties. Um, and, and in essence um, was, well, I mean, really there, there's not any other word to use here, was kind of begging for some assistance, some financial assistance or, you know, a purchase to help get through those times. And, um, you, you know, just just a very different approach than than is optimal for working with long working in the long term with collectors, um, and and so all of that just it 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 makes us like I said gun shy, but also it's just that in our relationships with collectors, we want to maintain a level of professionalism and we want to keep those communications as simple as possible. And if I'm communicating with a collector and the artist is communicating with that collector, um, there's the potential for confusion. There's the potential for over communication or mixed messages or mixed signals. And so, um, you know, we just want to be very careful in how we approach that relationship and nurturing that relationship and not, not have it be too, too confusing. I mean, uh, we even go so far that um, in the gallery with my sales staff, we make sure that there's really one primary point of contact 
um, just to keep the channels of communication clear and simple, um, you know, so that uh, a collector isn't receiving emails from two different salespeople or myself and another salesperson. Um, you want to want to make it as as simple as possible, um, and and so you, you know that that's kind of looking at it from a little bit from the fear side. But I would also uh, have you look at it just just from a, a pragmatic and practical standpoint. Um, if you think about um, and and in this email that I got, it, it kind of put it this way. You know, these are people who've collected my artwork. They're my collectors, my customers. Well, I would would argue and and just invite you to think about it a little bit differently. Um, you know, if you think about what it is that makes someone a customer, um, you know, a customer is someone to whom you've offered artwork, uh, they've seen that artwork, and they feel that or, or they've seen some value in that artwork, and they are writing a check to you, so to speak, to purchase that artwork. Um, well. If you think about it that way and you ask yourself, who is writing the check to me for the artwork, really your customer is the gallery um, and and they are your long-term customer in, in this relationship. Um, they're going to purchase multiple pieces from you over the course of time. You know, the, the check is coming with them. And so... If you start thinking about them that way, I know there's a tendency and, and there's some valid reasons for thinking as your relationship with a gallery as a, a, a kind of partnership. Um, but when it comes to the sale of the artwork, um, I think it can be very valuable for you to see your galleries as customers and to try and treat them that way. Um, and, and that's going to, to change a little bit your approach to interacting with galleries. Um, you know, if you're thinking of them as your customer, uh, it's a good idea to send them a thank you note when a sale occurs. Um, you know, thank you for all the efforts that you put into promoting and, and selling my artwork. I really appreciate it. Um, you, you know, that's the the relationship that you want to be nurturing. And then the gallery, um, you know, their customer is the end buyer. Uh, you, you know, in in a lot of ways, this isn't this is not a unique model. Obviously, um, you know, every retail operation. Uh, least a retail operation that's not owned by a manufacturer, um, they're an intermediary and they are, um, you, you know, they're managing the, the client relationship. Um, and so they should be sending thank you notes to the collectors and doing that kind of follow up and telling them the stories and, and um, encouraging them to make future purchases. Uh, and so that's, that's what you want to be in, encouraging. And, and I think that it's um, pretty unlikely you'll find a gallery that is overjoyed to provide contact information for collectors um, for all of the the reasons that I've mentioned today. And and so that being the case, you know, as as you're thinking about leaving a gallery, because maybe the relationship um, is coming to a, a point where it's not as as valuable to you as it used to be. Um, you'll need to, in, in the calculations uh, that you're making about the value of that relationship, um, that gallery's relationship with your uh, or with buyers who have purchased your artwork um, has to come into play and you have to decide if you're willing to give that up so you can move to a new relationship and generate, uh, you know, new potential followers for your work through that gallery. Um, you know, and it, just again, just kind of this concept that uh, this is not a unique model. Um, you know, certainly uh, 
there are many um, manufacturers out there, uh, you know, who Sony, let's say, who is manufacturing phones and TVs and those kind of things. And they sell them, uh, they do some direct sales online, but they also sell them to retailers like Best Buy or Sears or some of these other big retailers. Well, um, in that scenario, uh, the exact same thing is happening. The, the relationship with the end consumer is being managed by the retailer and is not being uh, handed over, divulged to the manufacturer. Um, and and the the relationship is between the manufacturer and the the retailer, um, and then between the retailer and the end consumer. And and there's kind of a, a wall there um, where that information isn't turned over. So this isn't a unique scenario. And and um, you know it's it's maybe a little bit unrealistic to think that um, you as a wholesaler of your artwork to a uh, gallery would expect some special treatment that you are going to get that that contact information. But I'm I'm really interested to um, hear the the counter argument to this um, and um, to have some discussion about this. And so I hope you'll leave um, your thoughts on this in the comments on the the podcast page. Um, you know, what you think about galleries uh, maintaining uh, a level of separation between you and, and collectors. Um, and um, I know that in, in some states, there are actually laws on the books that the galleries have to divulge that information. Uh, all I can say is, um, for all the reasons that I've mentioned, um, I'm just glad that I'm not doing business in, in one of those states. And I would, would be very reluctant to do that because I think that short circuits, uh, the dynamic that has evolved over, over time, um, in the art world. Um, and, and to, you, you know, just jumping over onto the other side of the argument, um, for a second, I can see that, um, you know, if galleries are not doing a good job of maintaining relationships with collectors, they're not following up. They're not sending out images of artwork. Um, they're not doing the follow through that that one would expect of of the gallery. There's a lot of incentive then for the collector to go around the gallery and go to the artist's website to see what's new, and and potentially they would make that contact themselves. Um, and I think a lot of galleries have not. Um, adapted to the new realities of, of the internet art world where that's, that's the possibility. And so a gallery better be adding some value um, to the relationship and, and better be doing a lot of work to promote and, and frankly better be doing enough so that the artist can be happy with, with the efforts that the gallery is making and not have the incentive to, to do their, the more self-promotion. And so it's definitely a give and take. And, um, I recognize the fact that, um, as a gallery owner, uh, we better not just be sitting around waiting and hoping for someone to walk in and, and buy a piece of artwork and not, not putting forth the effort to earn the commission that we're making, um, and to earn the trust that our collectors are, are giving us. I guess the final point I'd make, um, and, and I do need to close this session, but the, the final point I would make is that um, there really are also some privacy concerns um, in, in terms of a gallery just, uh, you know, kind of unilaterally handing over client contact information to an artist 
Um, so I know f some of my collectors would be uh, upset if they knew that I was giving out um, addresses and phone numbers and emails and, and those kind of things um, to my artists with the potential that the artist might then contact them. So there's a little bit of a privacy question there. And obviously that could be overcome if you just make sure the, the client knows that that's what you'd be doing. Um, but like I say, from from my perspective and my experience, um, it, it is far, far more efficient and effective for us as a gallery to be very proactive in maintaining and sustaining the relationship with the collector. And so that is, is our approach to it. Again, I'll look forward to hearing your perspective on both of these issues. I'd love to hear what you think about uh, the frequency of sending emails out to collectors. Um, and if you're concerned and nervous about that, from our first discussion, and then what you think about, um, you know, the the gallery client artist relationship. Um, so please do share your thoughts in the comments. Uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes or a podcast service, uh, hop over to red.blog.com and go to the podcast section and find episode 16 and leave a comment there. Uh, while you're there, be sure and sign up for our mailing list um, so that you can be notified about future podcasts and also receive uh, marketing advice and insights uh, from my blog. Again, that is red.blog. That's all spelled out. R-E-D-D-O-T-B-L-O-G dot com. Uh, and you go to the podcast section and you can sign up for our mailing list in the link in the upper right corner of every page. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. I will look forward to talking to you next time. <laughs>